0: Jehovah Unveiled. God is revealing himself to his people and also to those who are not his people. Jehovah was not unknown before, but his people had a limited understanding of their God. They knew he was the creator. He was the one who caused all things to exist. They knew that he was the one who blessed Abraham, being the father of the promised son Isaac when Abraham was about 100 years old, had the son of promise. They knew that God chose Isaac over Ishmael. They knew that God chose Isaac's secondborn son, Jacob, over his twin brother who was actually the firstborn son, Esau. They knew much about God through the oral traditions over the centuries. They knew much of the basics about God. They are about to know God in a much greater way as they see the signs and wonders, as they see God Himself overthrow the nation of Egypt just to set them free. God is going to show Himself as all powerful. He's going to reveal Himself as being more powerful than Pharaoh. Which, I mean, keep in mind the perspective of the children of Israel. Everyone who was alive at that point grew up enslaved. And God is going to prove that he's greater than Pharaoh. God's going to prove that he has power over nature. He's going to prove that he is their provider, that he is their protector, and ladies and gentlemen, this is our God too. He is more powerful than any government on the face of this earth, praise the Lord. He is more powerful than any person in our lives. He is in control of all things that we would call natural occurrences, He's in charge of the weather. And he's our, our protector. This is our God. Would you join me in Exodus chapter 7? we will begin reading in verse 14. As we go along in our series, we are now to the first plague. How many of you have been looking forward to the plagues? They're kind of interesting, aren't they? Well, we're going to find that not only are they interesting, they reveal more and more about God, they reveal more and more about Egypt's gods, and enough said. Let's read. Exodus chapter 7, beginning verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die and the Nile will stink and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch, it, stretch out your hand over the waters of the Egypt, over their rivers, their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water so that they may become blood And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died. The Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who is holy, and who alone is worthy of worship and reverence. You alone are worthy of our full obedience. So, Father, help us to understand how your word influences our lives today in this passage as we see Moses and Aaron obeying God, as we see Pharaoh rebelling. Help us to understand you better. Help us to live for you as as a result of your word this morning and your spirit working in our lives. So Lord, guide my thoughts, my words. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had to convince someone to do something that they just don't want to do? If you're a parent, I know you have. Every time you ask your child to clean their room, oh mom, I don't wanna. How do you change someone's mind? And more to the point, how do you change someone's heart? Right? Because if they desire to do what they're supposed to do, well, then that's a whole lot easier, isn't it? Those who make their living in sales have this figured out. If they haven't figured it out, then they're not making much of a living in sales. right? They have learned how to make a case for why life would be better if you just had their product. right? Or, or how their product is superior to the one you're already using. Oh, that's a piece of junk. But as any salesman can tell you, there are plenty of people who just simply will not be swayed. No matter the facts, no matter the emotional pull, no matter the the real harm that might be coming because they're not upgrading to this safer and newer product, whatever it is. Pharaoh is one who will not be swayed. He is stubborn. He is the definition of of being stubborn. and That doesn't surprise us because God said that's exactly what's going to happen. So in, in verses 14 through 16, we see Pharaoh's heart. God, in essence, tells Moses, look, Pharaoh is stubborn. He's not going to change his mind, but go to him anyway. If you were a salesman, do you want to go make that call? <laughs> They're not going to buy your product. They're not going to listen to you. You are genuinely wasting your time. God tells Moses and Aaron to go anyway. I'm not sure that I would like that assignment, but actually that's a common theme throughout Scripture, where God tells uh, his his person, whether it's a prophet or or someone else, tells them to go do something, and just by the way, the people aren't going to listen to you. I think of Isaiah. Isaiah Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this uh, this vision of the Lord, he sees the Lord on his throne and the angels are flying around crying out, holy, 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 right? You remember that? And, and in this vision, uh, Isaiah speaks to God, God speaks to him. In verse 8 of Isaiah 6, uh, we read this, and I heard Isaiah speaking, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. So this is the message. What I'm about to read is the message that Isaiah is told as he is surrendered in service to God. He says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And the passage goes on in all the ways that Isaiah is going to talk to the people and they're not going to get it. Are you signing up for that job? (laughs) I think of Jonah. Jonah is actually the exception. Most people, when they're commissioned by God, are are given uh, a message. And by the way, the people, they're not going to respond to you. But go tell them anyway. Jonah was the exception, wasn't he? He was told to give a message to Nineveh. And he very begrudgingly, very coldly goes out and preaches to Nineveh. And the city repents. And God actually diverts the the destruction that he had planned for them for a hundred years. But Jonah is the exception. God has told Moses to speak to Pharaoh and has just told him straight up, Pharaoh's not going to listen. He's not going to respond. He's going to reject. But despite this undesirable task, Moses is faithful. Moses and Aaron obey. In verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Pharaoh is being stubborn. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water and confront him there. Uh, By the way, Pharaoh isn't the only one who's stubborn in in Exodus. Moses is pretty stubborn too, isn't he? Back in chapters 3 and 4, when God was commissioning Moses to lead the Israelites, Moses pushed back. He didn't just say, okay. He wasn't like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 but that said, here I am, send me. And then even after God tells him all the, the ways that this is going to turn, turn out poorly for him, Isaiah still goes and does it. Uh, Moses is actually pretty stubborn. It was only after God graciously gave him Aaron as his teammate does Moses finally go along with God's plan. And then they go and confront Moses. Remember this? They go and confront Pharaoh. They confront him the first time. And how does Pharaoh respond when commanded by the Lord, let my people go? He says, nope. And because you act so kindly, I'm going to make the lives of the slaves so much harder. That's not a direct quote, but that's kind of what happened, right? When that happened, when Pharaoh first pushes back, what does Moses revert to? he reverts to his original negative default response that he had before saying, I can't do this. Being stubborn isn't a bad thing if you're stubborn for the right things. And Moses does become that as we see him progress in the book. But what is your default response? What is our default response? When God presents us with an opportunity to serve, is our our default response, no, I'm too busy. I can't do it. Or, Or, no, I just I don't have the capability to do that. When when God is legitimately putting in front of you a way to serve, what is what is your default response? God takes Moses' default response and remember he encourages him by showing more of himself, giving him more of the information that he already had, uh, talking to him about how he is going to force Pharaoh that the people will be freed, they will be let go. Uh, You just, just obey, just follow along. The more God has talked to Moses and the more God's greatness and superiority has has really taken a hold of Moses' imagination, The, the, the more Moses is demonstrating that he really does trust God. He wasn't sure at first. But he really does. And so Moses and Aaron are now acting in obedience to God, even though it is difficult, it's hard, it's unnerving, it produces anxiety in them. Pharaoh, on the other hand, is going to hear from God by way of Moses and Aaron, and Pharaoh, too, is going to witness, and already has, he's going to witness God's power and supremacy. So Moses witnesses God's power uh, through the signs that that God told them to do. Remember, take the staff, take the staff, Throw it down, it turns into a serpent. Pick it up, becomes a staff. Pharaoh's gonna see these same things. And his heart, rather than trusting God, rather than submitting to God, is going to go the other way. Pharaoh will remain unfazed. In last week's passage, Moses and Aaron confronted Pharaoh in his palace. This week, they're meeting him out at the river, out at the Nile River. We do not know what, for sure what Pharaoh is doing here, but we do get the idea that going to the Nile is part of his routine. Uh, whether he goes every day or uh, just certain days, but in the morning, that, that this is part of his routine. Does he bathe every morning? Maybe, we don't know. Is this worship? Possibly. Because if the Nile doesn't provide for the nation, the nation doesn't have, right? So it could be a form of worship. Maybe he just likes to go out to the water for a a bit of quiet time. I don't know. But that's his pattern. And Moses and Aaron are going to interrupt that pattern. By the way, God does like to do that. He likes to take our habits, our patterns, and disrupt them to get our attention. And that's what he's doing here with Pharaoh. They're going to meet uh, Moses and Aaron will meet him for this first plague they're going to do it again at the fourth and seventh plagues so this is going to become a pattern that they're going to uh, confront Pharaoh when he's out doing this this morning ritual first of all this is going to annoy Pharaoh <laughs> That's really the least of our concerns. Second, and more importantly, meeting Pharaoh at the river for this particular plague is going to immediately reveal the power of God because instead of having God strike the Nile and cause it to turn to blood when Pharaoh's not watching, this is going to be more powerful. This is going to be more effective because Pharaoh is there. Pharaoh's heart is hard. we're going to see God's superiority over the gods of Egypt. The Nile meant everything to the Egyptians. It was a means of transportation. And so that because it was a means of transportation, it was a source of wealth because of all the trade that would go through. It was a supply for food within the waters of the Nile. It was a supply of water for their fields, giving life, just in every sense of the word. So the Nile became an object of worship because the Nile was indeed life to the Egyptians. The God of Israel is going to show his power by ruining that source of life. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. He's saying, by what's happening here, you will know that I am the Supreme One, the, the, the God of the universe. Jehovah, behold, that with the staff that is in my hand I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. So Aaron takes the staff that God had him used before, that same staff that turned into a serpent, swallowed the magician's serpents. I'm sure that was a sight. That same staff, and by the way, this staff is going to be used all throughout their history in these upcoming years as God shows his power through this staff. In fact, it was often referred to as the staff of God, not just the staff of Aaron or the staff of Moses. It's the staff of God. Moses was not the source of power. Aaron was not the source of power, only God himself. And what makes this important is that Pharaoh understand that this is coming from Jehovah. This is not coming from these people. Uh, the Egyptians had about 80 major deities that worship that they worshiped 80 major ones. In other words there are people that worshipped a whole lot more than the 80. Uh, but if you were to group them together you would find that they have specific categories uh, the Nile River, the land and the sky. So as we go through these uh, these plagues, these signs that God is performing, uh, against Egypt and for Israel. As we go through these plagues, uh, the first two are against the Nile. They're against the God that they worship, the Nile. The next four are against land gods with these uh, other creatures and situations. And the final four plagues were against the gods of the sky, uh, culminating with, uh, with their firstborn, messing with their whole genealogy and, um, and so on. God is going to prove himself powerful over all of their gods in sort of a categorical fashion. So in verse 19, the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch your hands out over the waters, and what happens? They become blood. This sign of turning the Nile into blood was not limited to the water that was just in the Nile River. Right? Right? It's all the surface water everywhere is turned into blood. And what we see near the end of the passage is that uh, underground sources seem to not be affected. They're able to dig and find usable water. That's how God actually saves them. You can't go an extended period of time without drinkable water. But because of this, Egypt stinks. Moses and Aaron have obeyed God's command. We've seen Pharaoh's heart. We've seen God's superiority And the result is Egypt stinks. So Moses and Aaron, verse 20, if you're following along, verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. They strike the Nile and it turns into blood. Because Pharaoh and his entourage are there, there would be no doubt as to why the Nile turned to blood. They would all know that Moses and Aaron's God has done this. There was no natural phenomenon happening here. This was not something that uh, that was uh, explainable by any other means other than Aaron's staff hit the water, the water turned to blood. That's it. This was God, the God of Israel, taking the God of Egypt, which they viewed uh, quite highly, and turned it into the stench of death. That which was the source of, of all life and beauty has now become Uh, the smell of death. End of verse 21, there was blood all throughout the land of Egypt. Blood in all the ponds and waterways. Blood, even in the containers that had water in them, this water turned to blood. So you, you have this this vessel in, in your cabinet at home that would have a little bit of drinking water stored for you, it is now ruined. One word that describes this is just simply nasty, right? We need water. We have to drink it every day. And when that water that they're used to, that water that is just always ready for them is completely unusable, this is, this is really gross, and the point is being made that God of the Israelites is more powerful than the gods of Egypt. Some of the saddest words to be spoken of anyone are the words that are spoken of Pharaoh here in verses 22 and 23. Uh, so the Egyptians uh, do the same by their magic art. So the water that they are able to find, uh, they're able to turn that into blood. I don't know why they would do that, but they did. And they did it And that causes Pharaoh to be less impressed with the God of Israel. Uh, In verse 22, halfway through, it says, So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord said. Verse 23, Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. Pharaoh has seen the power of God in action right in front of his face. And he simply turns around, leaves, and doesn't even take this to heart. If God is powerful enough to turn the Nile River into blood, and he is because he just did it. If God is powerful enough to do this, what's to stop God from doing anything else he pleases? Now you and I know the answer to that, right? There's nothing to stop God from doing whatever he pleases. God has made a demand on Pharaoh. And it's true, this demand that God is making on Pharaoh is a genuine sacrifice that Pharaoh does not want to make. He does not want to let the slaves go free. It would completely upend every aspect of Egyptian life. It would completely destroy their economy. All this super cheap labor to do all these things that ordinary Egyptians just don't want to do, if they leave, this is going to be a huge problem, and Pharaoh doesn't want to pay this price. But what he is going to see is the cost of obeying God is actually much less than the cost of disobeying God. By the way, do you believe that? I mean, the reason that we disobey, even as believers in Jesus Christ, the reason that we disobey God is we believe at least in that moment, that my disobedience is going to bring about more pleasure, more delight, more enjoyment, whatever it is. My disobedience is going to be better for me. But what we see over and over again throughout Scripture is that obeying God is always better, even if it's a sacrifice, even if it, it feels painful in the moment. Obeying always is better than the consequences of disobeying God. And the consequences that Pharaoh's going to face are going to just continually get worse and worse. Right now, it's in the Nile. Fast forward to next plagues. He's not going to be able to just walk away from them. They're going to be in his house. They're going to be on him. It's going to be worse. The consequences of disobeying God are always worse than the cost of obeying him. So how does God want us to respond because of this passage? By the way, this was a difficult passage to come up with this answer because the reality is, is, this, is this passage is just laying forth the facts of what happened, right? Well, how should a believer respond any time that God is striking someone else with calamity? Well, shouldn't we respond with humility? Do we not also deserve to have our idols turn into a stench? That's what happened here. The idol of Egypt, the Nile River, became, what they, they worshipped, what they trusted in for their well-being, it became unusable. It became a stink. We too deserve to have our idols turned into something horrible whether it's the idol of money or the idol of our job or the idol of our capabilities. I I like to think I don't have idols. But the more I read scripture, the more I realize that I keep producing idols. I, I have idols. Things that I'm trusting more than I'm trusting God in that moment. It might be our health. When God takes that which we're trusting that we shouldn't be and turns it into a sting. Don't we deserve that with every idol in our life? We do. Moses was just as deserving of punishment for his own sins, his own rebellion, as Pharaoh was. And we, we already rehearsed this morning some of the ways that, that Moses was rebellious. Moses deserved to be punished for that. Moses deserved the same types of trials. God wants us to recognize just how horrible our sin is. He wants us to recognize the stink of our own sin. If you are here and you are trusting in your own goodness to be right with God, you're trusting in your own skills or abilities, your own ability to be better than you are worse, You need to recognize today that sin separates you from the Father and will do so for all of eternity unless you trust in Jesus. Believe that that Jesus paid the price for your sin. Turn in faith from your futile works and turn to Jesus Christ. For we who are believers, we need to be reminded what we really do deserve. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve any of the blessings of God, including the, what we would call general blessings that he has provided not only for those who are his children, but for those who are not. We have clean drinking water, right? That's what's being taken away from the Egyptians because of their sin we don't deserve even those common graces what pharaoh didn't understand was the god of israel was the one and same one and same god who actually provided the nile they were worshiping the gift of god the nile river rather than worshiping the giver of the gift do we ever do that oh it's so easy May God's word today keep our hearts reined in, reminding us of the cost of our own sin, the cost of our rebellion. When we sin, that's rebellion. Reminding us of the lavish blessing and grace of God that he showed us in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we very easily become numbed to our own sin. Sins that at, at one time, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as we've got that Holy Spirit in us, as we've got, uh, we receive conviction from him, uh, because we study the word of God, because the Spirit is living in us, we, we know what is right and we know what is wrong and, and we, we are under conviction of our sin, but sometimes As we continue to pursue sin, we become numb to the cost of sin. We become blinded or jaded from understanding just how horrible our sin is. Father, in whatever ways that we are retaining sin in our lives, help us to see it as an idol. Help us to, as the Egyptians saw their God turned into a smelly mess, I pray that we would be repulsed by our sin, that we would see it as you see it, and that we would hate it as you hate it. So instead of continuing in that sin, we might live for you. Father, you are the one who can sway any heart. Lord, draw us closer to yourself today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.